Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Now that we have fully stepped into uh, the Christmas season, I know some of you have kind of already been there for a little while. Um, Our three Christmas trees at our home have been up for a little while, and so we jump into it. Um, It's not uncommon for us to begin the process in October, but kind of when we get past Thanksgiving, everybody's like, okay, I'm cool. Let's start this this Christmas uh, time. And so today we're going to be kicking off our, our Christmas series, and we've just looked at it and thought about some different things, and during this season... Um, honestly, what I wanted to do, I had a whole nother series that I r- was really excited about doing, um, but it was not real Christmas-y. It was Christmas-based, but it was, it was a little different. Um, it was, it was going to be fun, and, and we'll do it another time. Um, and so just kind of talking about it, we were like, you know what? I think in 2020, we just need stuff that just feels like good, solid, old-school Christmas. There's enough weird. There's enough different Let's just have good old solid Christmas. So today our, our series is called Christmas Tags. And, uh, you, and whenever uh, I was a kid, that's one of my favorite things was to check out the, the tags under the tree and go and find out which gifts were mine and go and try to shake them and find out what was inside and to guess. And, and those tags were exciting. The, the presents themselves under the tree was cool. But when you saw your name on one, man, that was when it got lit up. And then you saw your name maybe on more than one, and you just couldn't wait. And my parents would threaten me and said, if you guess what it is, it goes back to the store. So I kept my guesses to myself. And I did not want to lose out on that. But with this... um, we're going to be looking at, the, at who Jesus is throughout this because Jesus is so much to us. So if you got your bulletin, you got your Bible app open, um, here is kind of our lead thought that Christmas is a time for us to reflect on the greatest gift we've ever received, and that's Jesus. That's Jesus. Jesus is the reason for the season. Without Jesus, there is no Christmas. There is no Christmas. Jesus is the reason. Now, in our day and age and in our culture, the big question is, is who is Jesus? We've gathered together under the name of of being Christians, and maybe you were brought here with the promise of some lunch after this, and there's somebody you really care about who's drug you to church this morning, and that's awesome that you care about them enough to come and sit with us for an hour. Um, But for those of us who gather together, then we have a biblical view of who Jesus is, that that we believe that Jesus was the Son of God, that that Christmas is about a virgin birth, um, that Jesus came into the earth to, to save humanity, that he lived and he grew, that he really taught, that he really walked around, he really did miracles, he really opened blind eyes. Lazarus really was dead, and he really did call him out of the grave. He really did feed 5,000 and and 4,000, and he really did these things. He really went to the cross. He really died. He really was buried. He actually stayed there for those days. He actually came out 
of the grave. He actually showed himself to be alive for a period of time and, and imparted into, into his disciples. He actually ascended into heaven and he will actually come again and he's actually our Lord and Savior. That's the biblical view of who Jesus is. But there's another view that is the historical view of Jesus. It's the idea that Jesus, yeah, Jesus was a guy and he was probably a pretty nice guy. He probably did some pretty cool stuff. And you look at his teachings and if you kind of do these things, he seemed to tell people to love one another and he seemed to tell people to be nice to one another and there were opportunities to condemn people and he didn't do it. And I think we can get some lessons from this historical guy and you know I, I think that's all he was you know and his followers kind of turned him into this other thing and but there was this historical thing and then there's another view of, of Jesus that Jesus was a mythical you know, he didn't actually live he didn't wasn't an actual person he's a, some sort of connection of different ideas of different people and and that Jesus is a dangerous idea that Jesus is a dangerous person for people to connect with because you look at some of what his followers have done in his name, and in fact, it would be better off if we could kind of remove this Jesus person from our lives and disconnect. And right now, there are all of those and more views of who Jesus is. And for us, that big question, who is Jesus? Who is he for us? That is the guiding question for all of us and that we should be growing in learning about who he is and the dynamic of who he is. Because the truth is, is that God has always wanted to be known. He's always wanted to be known. He created us to be in connection with him and fellowship with him. And, and our, our biblical view of the fall of humanity created this place of disconnection, which is just, was just heartbreaking for God. And he always wanted to be known. And we look through the Old Testament scriptures and we see God choosing to reveal himself. And, and then we get to the New Testament. In fact, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says that Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. He's the representation. We, when we see Jesus, we, we understand who God the Father is. Prior to that, we just had these little glimpses. We were, we were looking through the peepholes and we would see parts of him, but we weren't getting the whole picture. But when we see Jesus, we get the whole picture. And seeing we have this amazing thing where this place is reversed. Okay, we have, Cutie and I have seven kids. So, and I got to do daddy delivery with all seven of them. It's amazing. And so, you know, she got to carry them for nine months, but that means I got to be the first hands to hold my babies. And so as they're sit there and they're born and all of a sudden their world has been rocked. It was warm, it was cozy, it was good. They had everything that they needed, all the nutrition, everything. And all of a sudden, in just a matter of some hours, their world is rocked, it's light, it's cold. Somebody's touching me, what's this sensation? What is going on here? And they're just crying and upset. And they're sitting there and they don't care about these words at all. Hi. <gasps> I'm your daddy. They don't care about that at all. 
None of them were like, oh, what's up? Cool. Nice to meet you, pops. None. They just sat there and cried. They just dealt with all of the, the, the stuff that their world had just been turned upside down. But all I cared about was saying, hey, I'm your daddy. And over the next period of time, then they were going to grow in an understanding of what that was. Initially, they began to connect my voice and connect those things with hopefully some arms that were secure and going to hold them and that there was a place of peace and comfort. They didn't fully understand it, but when daddy's arms are around me, I'm, I'm good and and I can chill out, and everything's okay. And then as they get a little older, then they begin to say, oh, man, Daddy can have some fun. Daddy can play, and Daddy can run around and throw me up in the air and freak Mama out. And, and, but they're just grinning ear to ear and having a button. Dad can be fun. And they get a little older, and they're like, Dad has this piece of plastic that when we go into stores, he pops that out, and they let us walk out with stuff. Dad's a provider dad dad has this these things they're able to do and they begin to grow over a period of time in understanding who daddy is daddy was a lot more than they even understood when that very first moment that very first moment where i'm sitting there and saying hey i'm your daddy and at christmas we get the reverse of that we get a baby that's born where God's saying, hey, this is who I am. This is who I am. I want you to watch and see this child. This is who I actually am. You've thought you've understood me. You've thought you knew who I was, but I have revealed myself in this child. This child has come in on the scene and is now gonna show us who God is really is. And God had been speaking all through about who he was. And when we look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, we're going to be coming through here. And Jesus is a lot of things, but we're going to, in this series, we're going to be just breaking down this passage of scripture. Isaiah 9, verse 6, for unto us a child is born. Daddy reveals himself through a child. It's just to us, a son is given. You have to understand it's for you. It's not for the world. It's not for people out here. It's for you, for, for us. You got to own it. For unto us, a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And I tell you what, these are things that we desperately, desperately needed. So today we're going to be looking at the first one of those. We're going to be looking at that when God gave us Jesus, he, he gave us a wonderful counselor who would bring reconciliation to us. One of the things that pastors do is we provide some pastoral care. We used to call it counseling, but now that's a legal word, and so we don't it is. You have to be careful with that. So it's pastoral care, but it's counsel. It's, it's helping people through difficult things. And so, um, so with that, then there is this place where people have decisions that need to be made. A lot of times they have tension in relationships. They need reconciliation in a place and they need 
counselor. And it is so amazing that the, here in the place where we were so disconnected from God that we were the ones that had gone our own way, we were the ones who had turned our back on God, there was a place where there was enmity and, and tension between us and God, and God sent Jesus in, not to come in and bring the hammer and, and, and bring us into line and get us finally to turn our attention over here, but to prove that his attention was on us. But to sit there and say, and, and he has sent us a counselor to bring reconciliation that God was, well, let's look at it. Here in 2 Corinthians 5, 18, it says, all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them and has committed to us the message of reconciliation. There was problems. There was brokenness in our relationship with God, and God did not send an enforcer. He did not send in somebody to come in and to, to whip us into shape and finally get us to do our relationship with God right. He came in to bring reconciliation to heal the relationship to get rid of the rift and say it's gone it's dealt with it's taken care of and now that that it stood between us has been handled and we can have a relationship with God because of what Jesus had done that was the very first thing he did for unto us a child is born he's given us a wonderful counselor now reconciliation it's done Here's the thing is you'll never take advantage of everything else that Jesus is for us until you are convinced that you have been fully forgiven in Christ. Here's the problem, because if you're not, then you think maybe you deserve some of the issues. You think maybe you deserve some of the problems. You think maybe you deserve some of these different things. That maybe it's God's hand against you on these things. And then when we see that, no, God, when he sent Jesus... He sent two hands, not to condemn, but to take the condemnation and to be able to be nailed to a cross and to extend a nail-starred hand of reconciliation. And we can't get in on the rest of it until we embrace the reconciliation. Next thing we see is that when God gave us Jesus, he gave us a, we were given a wonderful counselor who would give us clarity instead of confusion. We also need somebody to counsel us when we just need to make some decisions. I tell you what, 2020 has been a year of some confusion. It's been a challenging year. There are things we don't quite know what to do. Here as a church, there's been a lot of places where, you know, where we just didn't quite know what to do. Do we resume services again? Do we not? How do we handle this? Do we do children's church? Do we do these different things? How do we begin to, to, to handle these things? When is this going to be over? Do we just hunker down and ride it out? Or, or do we begin to make some, some, some cautious, purposeful, intentional things to be able to do what we're called to do as a church? And, man, there's a lot of places where we just had to go to God in prayer and get some counsel directly from the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 8.10 says, this is the covenant that I will establish with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and write them 
on their hearts. Praise God when he's given us a wonderful counselor, he is putting it directly inside us. God is, God abides within us. And this isn't something that's outside that we've got to go and harvest wise counsel from somewhere outside. The Holy Spirit begins to work on the inside of us and he writes them on, on our minds and on our hearts. He says, I'll be their, their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. He'll give us counsel and wisdom and lead us and guide us. And we need that. Because the problem is, is that we don't need more head knowledge. We need a change of heart to be able to, to walk in a place of wisdom. There's a lot of times there's the, we know the right thing to do and we still make the wrong decision. Why do we do that? We know what was the right decision to do in the moment. We'd heard it, we'd, be, we'd give somebody else the right answer, but yet we, for our own lives, make the complete wrong decision. There's an entire generation who doesn't even know they need to stop, drop, and roll. My generation grew up. We know if we caught on fire, we know what to do. You randomly caught on fire. We were well-trained everywhere we went. We were taught. You stop, you drop, and you roll. I don't know why we quit caring about children bursting into flames. I guess maybe because they don't do it anymore. I'm not sure how, it's, what was happening in America that that became a campaign for so long of teaching children to stop, drop, and roll. I mean, it was a place where we were, I mean, as a kid, you were freaked out. I mean, you stayed away from the oven. You did, man, you were ready to stop and drop and roll. The flames were gonna jump out and they were gonna get you and you're just gonna roll them away. And um, so I was trained to that. My generation, we knew to stop, drop, and roll. Whenever I was in high school, I was doing some work for a guy, and I had to burn a huge pile of weeds. And so I sat there, and, and it was hot. And I sprayed some off on myself and was working. And, I, and so I was just in some, some soccer shorts and, and my tennis shoes, and that was it. And I sprayed the off on my body, and then I threw the gasoline on the weeds. And I sat there and had a little, little lighter and was lighting the weeds, and it hit a little flash of gasoline, and the gas flashed up while the off um, was still on the surface of my skin. And it just, it, it, I was just, on fire. All of a sudden, I'd been trained for this my whole life. And here it was. I'm on fire. I've been trained. I know what to do. You would have thought that they would have just seen the perfect textbook. Bam. All right. Fall down and just roll around. No, I took off like a bolt of lightning. I ran across that yard. I'm just sitting there. Whoo, the exact wrong thing. You know, I'm just giving it oxygen. It's just, you know, burn, Brandon, burn. And I'm just running. And I knew, I knew what I was supposed to do. But in the moment, it didn't make a difference when it really mattered. Because all it had been was just some piece of head knowledge. We keep making some difficult, hard choices that when we look back, we're like, how could we have been so stupid? How could we, I knew the right decision. How did I do that? The problem was, is it wasn't that lack of head knowledge. It was a lack of heart change. 
And Jesus came to give us the heart change that would actually produce a different kind of life. Head knowledge is not in and of itself going to produce the right kind of things. Very rarely do we come across that we just legitimately just make a well-informed bad decision. Most of the time, we know "Eh, this is a little edgy. This is a little iffy. I probably ought to walk in wisdom on this. And we risk it for whatever reason. We push it, and it blows up in our face. And like, well, I knew better. I knew better. What's the difference? We need in a heart change. And Jesus was sent so that we could have a heart change. All of the rules and regulations of the Old Testament did not produce a holy people. They didn't. They produced a worn out, tired, frustrated, angry people. And the, the people who kept the laws the most were the most frustrated and the most angry. They didn't produce love, people who were called to love God and love others. That requires a heart change. And God sent us a wonderful counselor who would, who would do that for us. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful we have this place of a, of a sound mind and this place of a power to walk it out be able to have some wisdom and to be able to walk it out the way God has called us to do. The next thing we see is that when God gave us Jesus, we were given a wonderful counselor who would guide us, who would guide us. There are a lot of times we just need some direction. I'm so thankful for GPS. I'm so thankful for GPS. Years ago when we were traveling in, uh, in our motorhome and, and doing that thing back in 2008 and uh, get a call from somebody and somebody say, hey, where are you? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm on the pink line. That's all I know, man. My, my Garmin, my Nuvi, it's taking me to my next destination and I have no idea where, where I was. I didn't, well, which town are you between? I'm not sure. I'm just driving, but now I was at peace with that. I wasn't freaking out because this was taking me where I needed to go. It was giving me the guidance. It saw where I was. It saw where I was needing to go. And it was give, clearly giving me my next steps. It is so awesome to be able to have God to be able to give us the guidance that we need. And here's the thing is we ought to begin to learn to look to him on the front side. The scriptures tell us that There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end is death and destruction. There's a lot of times the things that seem right to us, that's not really where the life is. It says God's ways are higher than our ways. And part of knowing God better and trusting him more is when there's a point of tension between the way we want to make decisions and the way God says this is actually where the life is, is we defer to him This is where we let this part of this passage say where the government will be on his shoulders. What government is it talking about? Talk about mine and you. you. Who are we going to allow to govern? When you let him govern, you get these things. If you don't let him govern, unless you let him govern, you're not going to get a wonderful counselor. You're not going to have a mighty God. You're not going to have a prince of peace unless you let him govern. And so part of this is us learning to defer to his counsel and let him lead us and guide us. 
um, years ago, I was uh, got my private pilot's license and um, I had access to a couple of planes and I don't have access to those anymore. And so I, I'm not current. I can't go jump in a plane and fly now. Um, but there was a season that I got to fly quite a bit and I really loved it and enjoyed it. And um, so one time I was having to go drop some people off in Del Rio and I was going to drop them off at the airport in Del Rio. And this was just fairly recently after um, the tragedies of 9-11. And so everybody was still hyper-vigilant on air traffic, um, hyper-vigilant, especially on the border. And of course, Del Rio, Lake Amstead, the, the Mexico border runs right through the middle of Lake Amstead. And so I sit there and I've got my, um, my sectionals, got my, my maps. And so I'm flying down south from here to go to, uh, to Del Rio. So I've got these three guys with me. And so while we get there, we're like, hey, let's just check out the lake. Let's just look at the lake. So I'm doing that. I get on with the tower and talk to them, check in with the tower. And they said, do you want vectors to the airport? And I said, no, I'm good. We're just going to look at the lake for a little while and then I'll do it. So I said, okay, okay the, the, looking at my map, the lake is on, I mean, the airport's on the right side of the lake. So I'm like, I'm good. So we are flying around, looking at the, looking at the lake. Tower comes on and says, hey, would you like vectors to the airport? And I said, no, we're good. Um, and so uh, anyways, I said, no, we're good. And he so we fly around, and then all of a sudden, he comes on the, uh, comes on the radio, and he starts telling me, 5-7 um, Echo, 5-7 Echo, turn heading 0-9 now, 0-9 now. And I'm just sitting there, and that heading made no sense to me whatsoever. And I'm just sitting there, and I keep flying, and he is barking at me. He is angry at me and yelling at me in my headset. So finally, I just do it. So I turn 0-9. And sure enough, bam, there's the airport. And I'm like, what on earth? They sit there, my sectional is wrong. Everything is messed up. This, this, this was on the wrong side. Well, I was about to cross into Mexico airspace. Um, they had no idea what this little Cessna was trying to do and accomplish. They're about to scramble jets and come get Brandon Clark out of the air. And, uh, and so I just turned and I was just so confused as I come in and then I looked and I realized I was holding my map looking at north, flying south. When I reoriented my map, oh, the airport's on the other side of the lake. Oh, that makes complete sense now. But thankfully, there was somebody who was sitting there watching me who knew what was going on even when I didn't know what was going on and was insistent that I turn on the proper heading and kept me from being forced down by a couple of uh, jets and having to explain what we were doing. And, uh, but there are places where there is wisdom for us to be able to guide us and lead us, but we have to be willing to do it. My problem was that I was convinced I knew what I was doing. I was convinced of it. And even when the right information came out, it just didn't make sense. I couldn't make that turn. And finally, his insistence forced me to be able to do it. We've got to be willing to sit there and to, and to heed the counsel, to be able to let God guide us. John chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus tells us, says, my sheep 
listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. If you're his child, you know his voice. Discerning the voice of the Holy Spirit isn't as tough as sometimes we make it out. There's a promise. And every time I get a little bit flustered, every time I get a little bit, I just come back to this. I'm your child, I'm your, I'm your sheep, and I know your voice. And you're gonna lead me and you're going to be able to guide me. John 14, verse six, it says, Jesus answered, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is our connection with the Holy Spirit. And I tell you what, when, when the, God sent us the Holy Spirit, I'm telling you, man, we got a massive a massive upgrade, a massive upgrade. In fact, other than it wasn't my opinion, that's Jesus's opinion. Let's look at John 16, verse seven. It says, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Now let's pause right there. These are guys who had followed Jesus. They had left everything. They'd left everything, left their careers, everything to follow Jesus. They had watched him do all the miracles we talked about at the beginning of this message. Watched him feed the thousand. Watched him open blind eyes. Watched him call dead men out of the grave. Watched him do all of those different things. That had Jesus right there with him. Right there connected with them. And be able to do it. There's no way in their minds that they're like, it could ever be good that I'm going away. But let's just take one of those. Let's take Peter. Peter's a leader. Peter's in the middle of all this, okay? Peter was there with Jesus. Peter's the one who runs his mouth off and says, even if everybody else abandoned you, I'm gonna stay with you. And Jesus said, you're actually gonna deny me three times tonight. Peter denied him three times that evening, one of them to a teenage girl. He, he just, he could not do it. He did not have the boldness to have that. Then we see that in those moments that Peter just could not do it. But then as we see Acts chapter two, and the Holy Spirit has descended and is, and is imparted into the believers. Man, we see Peter being bold boldly putting himself out there, getting arrested, getting miraculously released and going right back into the place when he was unwilling to follow Jesus to, he was trying to make sure he didn't get arrested when Jesus was right there with him. But yet when now that Jesus is gone and the Holy Spirit has come, we see a whole different Peter, a whole different place of boldness. Folks, it is good for us to have the Holy Spirit it is good for us to be able to lean into that and have that. He says, unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, we can just kind of stop right there and go, yeah, you world, you are messed up. Sin, righteousness, judgment, man, you just got it all wrong. We can be, all of a sudden, if we stop right there, that old works mentality, that old judgmental thing come in. But let's look 
and let's see what Jesus' words say about this. It says about sin, not because you're messing up and you're blowing it and you're terrible and, and you've turned your back on God. No, he says about sin because people do not believe in me. The gospel says that if we'll believe on Jesus, then our sins are forgiven. Here Jesus reminds us that the problem with sin is that they don't believe in him. About sin because they don't believe in me. About righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. It wasn't about condemning our unrighteousness or calling us to some higher level of righteousness. It was about him going there to and send us the Holy Spirit and imputing righteousness to us, giving us righteousness. It says that is what the Holy Spirit is going to help us to understand. It's going to help us to understand what sin really is, which is not believing, that righteousness is given because Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, and about judgment. And where did my notes go? There we go. I'm going to find them. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Not because you're judged. Not because all of the the messed up people that drive you up the wall are judged. But because the ruler of this world, the enemy, is the one that stands condemned. He's going to be able to make us be able to see things clearly. The Holy Spirit is going to help us to see sin, righteousness, and judgment. It says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own, and he'll speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will, he will glorify me because it is from me that he'll receive what will make known to you. We have a wonderful counselor. We have one who's made reconciliation one who brings clarity and one who brings guidance and abides on the inside of us. When we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate the fact that God gave us this. And you know what? If parents in this room, I know one of the most heartbreaking things is to be so excited about giving a gift and it's so excitedly opened and you look over three or four days later and that must-have thing has kind of been parked in a corner and it's never touched again. God's given us some amazing gifts. It's exciting to see them. It's exciting to reveal them and open them up. But folks, let's enjoy them. Let's use it. Let's allow the Holy Spirit's work to flow into our lives and, and make a difference in our lives. Our bottom line today is that the wonderful counselor gives wonderful counsel. We need to just live our lives that way. We want to make good decisions. We want to be able to lean in and to live the life God's called us to live, but the only way we're going to do it is by deferring to him. We can't do it by doing it on our own. We have to defer to him. And he's given us somebody who loves us and cares about us and will make that happen. That is part of the beauty of Christmas. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.